On a whiteboard, I drew, drew what purpose is, what well simple is, what all these businesses are, and I said, this is the future of financial services. So I gave them a pitch on what I thought the idea was, and then once I actually was in the seat, it was like, wait a minute, I wouldn't, I don't think that's the right actual business. <laughs> Many entrepreneurs will be selling their business. What are some of the tips or advice you would give? I had a deep chip on my shoulder through that process, and because I wasn't ready to sell. Keep on pushing to meet the needs of the customer will meet the needs of the business. The Carmali Exchange is brought to you by Master Chocolate by Bernard. Welcome to Kermali Exchange. And let's talk about your purpose as an entrepreneur. And I use that name with intent. Joining me today is SomSafe, CEO of Purpose Investments. I'm so excited to have you here. Great to be here. With 26 years being in the financial industry, we've crossed paths a few times. Yep. And I love your story and I want all the entrepreneurs to hear about it. I think this is going to be great because it's not every day that I get to speak with an entrepreneur in the financial services industry. It's not every day that I get to speak to an entrepreneur who has a unique background that isn't as common as the average entrepreneur in this country. I'll start off, Iranian background. Yes. Came into, came into the business, I think not with direct intention. No. <laughs> Let's start off with the educational background sure. and then kind of get into how you ended up starting off with your career with RBC and moving on. Yeah, sure. My parents are Iranian. We uh, immigrated to uh, to Canada. One of the best gifts and, and you know, call it probability changes in my life, right? I mean, the opportunity to come to this great country. And, you know, I studied engineering with the idea of going to become an architect. Decided, uh, you know, that uh, I didn't go want to go into architecture because there was no money in it. And this was actually one of the best advice my parents or my mom gave me at the time was, you know, if you do something you love and you're really good at it, you'll always find a way to make money in it. And for me, it was the best advice. I didn't listen to it, but it was very important. And I would pass that on to everybody else. Um, my, uh, my, my, the principal reason why it matters is because I didn't grow up with wealth. You know, my parents gave me a very nice middle-class lifestyle and all the rest of it, but I, I always had this desire for more. I was chasing that idea of wealth would be the thing that I wanted, like the nice car, the nice lifestyle, all the rest of it. And so I studied engineering and then I said, okay, well, well if I'm not going to do architecture, what is the next idea? And I thought, okay, well, business is interesting. And if you remember a show called Traders, yeah. uh, um, and I love the show, and, and that was the only introduction I ever had to this idea of investment banking, what investment banking was. And so I applied to RBC and a few, few other investment banks. And I remember they asking me, why do you want to be an investment banker? And, and I honestly didn't want to actually tell them that, you know, that show Traders. <laughs> I, I, but, but that was really the fundamental reason. And luckily, I got the job. Went into uh, RBC, and I'll tell you, it was one of the greatest experiences I ever had. You know, training ground for a young person to just, you know, work their tail off, do nothing but like, you know, th those crazy hours, and, yeah. but also get exposed to real world business, real world people. Like I used to, my, one of my friends worked at Canadian Tire, and I used to talk about like, I met your CEO before you ever met your CEO. Yeah. Like the ability to have that network of being able to meet the top of the uh, the business uh, class, and more importantly, the C-suite of all these great organizations, and, and ultimately advise them and work with them and, and get to know them and understand their strategy and why they were doing the things they were doing. And I did that from 23, you know, years and 24 and 25. But ultimately, I had a moment in life where I just realized, like, I don't want to be a banker for the rest of my life. And actually, the thing that there was two things that happened. One was at 25, I kind of went home one night at like three in the morning after work and and I just was miserable. And I yeah. realized like I'm making money. I'm supposed to be on the path for what I was doing, but I'm not happy. 
And I realized that this goal of making money was a stupid and empty goal. And I had to reorient my, my mind to what is it that I actually love? What is it I want to do? And I realized the thing that mattered most to me in my journey was going to be the idea of being able to express my ideas, to be able to see the output of the effort and the impact that I have on something. And whether that was in architecture and building something physically or in the idea of building a business or being impactful to a business. By creating. By creating. And that was when I made the decision that, you know what, I need to go and build something either in partnership or on my own at some point. But I wasn't ready yet, but I knew I needed to do it. And that was the clicker for me. When your core values start to rub up against what you're doing, friction happens and a change is needed. And so when that change happened, you went home 3 a.m., you're not happy. That's a, that's a core value struggle. What, where did that come from? It's when you realize that like the actual goals you've set for yourself are not the actual things that are making you happy. And, and by the way, it still happens to us all as, as I've aged and, you know, I'm 47 now. And I think about, you know, the, the difference of who I am today, what matters to me today versus what mattered to me 10 years ago, what mattered to me 20 years ago, it, my life's changing. And, yeah. and as a result, if I don't actually adapt, if I don't actually think about the evolution of me as a human and the things that, that matter, then in fact, actually, I'm not actually living truly to the values. And you get stuck in the, especially if you're a you know, very disciplined person around, you know, setting long-term goals and being on those paths, you have to actually stop, reflect, and re reset at times. And that's what ultimately that was. When we first met, and as part of the transition of your story, coming out as a banker, you set up the company Claymore Investments. Tell me how that started and where did that actually, that spark come from? Yeah, it's, um, so, so the big thing for me was around that same time, you know, what I was talking about, I, I kind of looked up and, and said, who do I want to be if I'm 45 years old in this company? And I looked around and I said, I couldn't see a single person that was sort of matured in the job that I said, I want that lifestyle. I would be happy to be that person. Yeah. And that's when I said, okay, I need to do something more uniquely. And so what it was what happened was my mind was now open-minded to the idea. I was 25 years old. I still, you know, was learning a lot. I was still in this developmental stage, but I just knew that I had to change. And my fear in life is always complacency. So what I did at that point is I actually said to myself, on the day I turn 30, if I am still in this job, I'm going to walk in and resign on that day. And that just gave me a date that said, I have to solve this problem between now and the age of 30. Now, at 28, one of my clients and I started talking and I said to them, hey, you guys should do this and build this business. And they said, that's interesting. Would you build it? And I, I was like, well, I hadn't thought about that. And in one month, I resigned. Uh, they funded me, and I basically built the business. And that was the start of Claymore. And I started basically with, as a 28-year-old, me and a laptop in my living room, and said, okay, what am I do? And the idea was interesting, because I gave them a pitch on what I thought the idea was. And then once I actually was in the seat, it was like, wait a minute. I wouldn't, I don't think that's the right actual business. <laughs> and I had to reset and think, now that I'm actually building this business, what am I actually going to build? Do you know how many people actually have ideas this is a good idea. You should do this, Faisal. You should, you should try this. And then when you say, okay, let's do it, you try it. And you start it up and you put your money in where your mouth is and let's get it together. They sit in the seat, they go, oh shit, this might not be the right way of doing it's it. Why I think the consulting business actually is a really challenging business because it's easy to tell people, it's hard to do. And I'd actually flip it one other way, which is it's very common. You see uh, people will have ideas and things that, that you should do or they think they're going to do. Very few people actually have action. Yeah. And what actually differentiates, I think, the, the real entrepreneurs and leaders are those who actually are saying, not just say something, but actually go and do it. And I think that's something that is a really important character skill that does differentiate those who are the, the the doers you build this business claymore and then something happens yeah. walk us through what happened and really get into the emotional part of it because i think when these types of issues come up it can make or break an individual and there's a lot of 
competing emotions happening at the same time? Yeah, so first and foremost, I didn't go into it with this idea that I'm gonna sell it or I was a serial entrepreneur. In, in fact, I've always built businesses with the idea, I'm gonna own them forever. And I had a very simple principle. Build a business as if no one will ever call you and you're happy to own it forever. Because that's likely what will happen. And so I've always taken that perspective. But that initial investor that came in uh, to back me in the beginning, they shifted and changed hands because of the financial crisis and they went through some trouble. So somebody else became my shareholder and partner. At the outset of that, that it was actually quite a honeymoon thing. But, but ultimately, our paths as partners diverged. And that's a really important learning for all you know, partners in any, in any part of your life, whether it's your, you know, life partner or your business partner or your friends or whatever it be, it is really critical that you understand that when you enter into a partnership, people's lives change. And so it's critical to have those conversations at the outset about how you will react and deal with those changes in the partnership and in individuals' goals. They were, uh, you know, more anxious on liquidity and I was more anxious on building. Yeah. So we tried to negotiate a way for me to exit them and me to continue on. And, and I fought like crazy to, to do that. But ultimately we went through a process and I was trying to be a buyer in the process, but I also had to, you know, be the seller of the process. And the price just went way to a level that um, ultimately meant that it was probably the right decision to sell. We discussed the idea of me staying and, and running BlackRock. And I just said, you know what, it's not for me. It's time to go and, and move on. But I had a chip on my shoulder. I had a deep chip on my shoulder through that process uh, because I wasn't ready to sell. And, and it was like somebody just ripped my baby out from uh, yeah. my arms. And I felt burned, but more importantly, I felt like I needed to prove something. So I developed the business plan for purpose within 30 days. So the deal closed on March 1st. On March 31st, I invited a bunch of my old partners back into the office and said, hey, here's what I'm doing on a whiteboard. That's how I do my white business plans. And on a whiteboard, I drew, drew what purpose is, what well simple is, what all these businesses are. And I said, this is the future of financial services. And this is what we're going to do. And then I said but I'm gonna go away. And the reason was because one of the things I did self-reflect on is if I had started right away, which was an idea, I could just go right into it, I probably uh, would have failed. So I um, went away, uh, I took three months with my, I had two kids at the time, I now have four kids, uh, one of which because of that trip. And um, <laughs> we went away to Southeast Asia and, and what I did was I turned my Blackberry off, which, you know, that word is an important word We're to me. We're ourselves Yeah, uh -huh. but by the way, not for me, because I just got rid of my Blackberry recently and everyone, I was, I think the last person <laughs> who would call into the service department there. And uh, I turned my Blackberry off so no one could reach me. And I was gone for three months. And the reason I did that was for me, it was an ability to kind of truly say, I'm going to separate myself from this and, and say, do I want to do this truly? Am I passionate about this? Am I doing it for the right reasons? Not just because the wrong reasons of like this anger or revenge or, you know, sure. something to prove. And frankly, it was the best three months of my life. Came back to Canada. And as, and, and as soon as I landed in Canada, my BlackBerry started to work again. I started to turn it on. And all of a sudden, my heart started to pace a little more. And that's when I realized I really wanted to do this. I was passionate about the idea and I was committed to it. And I went and registered the company in August of that year. And, and that was the start of, I, I launched in, in January. And you named it Purpose. Yes. Tell me why. Hardest thing to do is name your company, right? Yeah. There's three reasons. Um, one uh, was because it was actually fundamental to our investment in our business thesis, which was the idea of that if you're going to be in this business, you got to have a purpose and you got to have a relevance. No one needs another asset management firm. So the idea that you know we can build a business that actually has a relevant role in shaping the industry and is relevant to our customers. That was one. Two, the idea of like purposeful investment strategy. So outcome oriented and all the rest. And the third was actually a personal one, which was I didn't need to work anymore. And, you know, to me, if I'm going to 
trade off the idea of being home with my kids, being there and spending the time on the things that actually, you know, had, had real joy and, and, and need versus actually working and, and hustling and doing the things. I better, you know, have a real purpose in, in the principle of what I do. And I actually think that's really critical for all of us as individuals. Yeah. Like, why do something that's not purposeful? Why, why do something that is not relevant? Because you're trading off the things that actually you care about with, with that. So if you aren't actually doing it with purpose, then, then don't do it at all. That's my view in life. And so, so those are the reasons where the brand came from, frankly. When you explore all the businesses that are out there, publicly and privately uh, held businesses, the five P's come into play. People, product, process, know how to get paid, and passion or purpose. What's the key thing that you would say how people can actually fulfill that part? It's the thing that you know makes you skip to work on Monday mornings. It's the thing that ultimately um, gives you a lot of energy. It's the thing that that makes you feel like I can actually do something that that is exciting and important, not only just for me but for a broader audience. And so it's really critical that that people find that. I go back to it, like it, whether you're an entrepreneur or you're just in your career, you you ought to. It's a really empty space to live a life where you don't have a sense of purpose. And it doesn't have to be in career alone. Like I'm not saying that everybody has to have the ambition of like oh, my my job is my number one thing but whatever it is in life that drives you and is is really important you got to basically find that and and then and apply yourself to it and everything else is um it can be important but that's the thing that you're going to basically optimize for so some when you look at claymore that was kind of a i'd I'll call it a force close or a force sale but many entrepreneurs will be selling their business what are some of the tips or advice you would give some quick ideas on what they need to have prepared mentally and in actual practice in order to sell so I think that first uh, we talked about, and, and I think it's important to understand that, you know, you don't go into a business with the idea that I'm going to sell it. Like, I think that's a wrong mantra. But when you decide, I think it's important that you prepare yourself for that. It's very different when you're a professional executive or a leader, like you were brought in to do something. But when you're a founder, this is your identity in many ways. So it's really critical that it align with your personal timetable and your goals. And once that is aligned, and, and that's important because if you have shareholders, if you have partners and things mm-hmm. that everyone, again, has to be aligned. And then the last thing is when, when you go through that process. It is actually a moment to really reflect and understand that your whatever mental model you had prior to and the mental model you have going forward is, is ultimately now changed. Yeah. And it's really critical to rethink what your mental model should be for the for the, what your life is in the future. So I'll give you an example. When I started Claymore, I had no kids. When I sold it, I had two kids. And I had to actually sit down and say, I want to do this again, as I explained. But second was, I'm. what are the things that now matter to me in this iteration of my next phase of my life? So what are the boundaries? I had no boundaries before. Yeah. Now I had to create boundaries and very clear clear discipline boundaries about like what is important to me in my life today and what is going to be important for the next 10 years. And and so I created that structure of discipline around that. The time you sell your business is an opportunity to reset your perspective of your mental model of the future state of your life and what you want for the next stage of what you want. And that may be, I really just want to not work anymore. I want to do something else and maybe have that opportunity. Or it's, I want to do something different or I want to go back and I want to work for somebody else now or I don't want to go back to the grind of starting up again. But that process is a moment to... It's an inflection moment in your life, and that's a really exciting thing for most people if you do it right. Yeah, I think that the idea of boundaries, and I'll, I'll agree, when I started off in, in my primary business, there was no boundaries. It was, it was business first, everything else second. And I can always sleep when I'm dead. That's exactly that was, right. That was a thought process. As I'm getting way older now, <laughs> boundaries need to be set. You, you build a family, you, you build relationships. There are more things that are important than just that one Boundaries are very important, but I still have a hard time sticking to the boundaries. So yeah. what, what are, what's your tip for me on 
How do you stay disciplined that boundary? Well, it's it, it, look, it's it's hard, but it, it uh, that goes back to my comment earlier about you got to be really self-disciplined in many ways, and so it's that you got to create the rules, and rules are the key. So, for example, one of the rules I started with purpose was I don't work weekends, Friday night to Sunday. You cannot get, you will never get me into a meeting. You will never get me into a conference call. You will never get my attention. I don't go into the office on the weekends. And that was a rule I set before I started Purpose. And when you set rules, those are rules now. Those are hard and fast. And you actually now structure that. My advice would be, if you want to create boundaries, create rules. And that's the best thing you can do. I want to say one other thing, which was important in what you said, which was life was uh, all about work and, 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 you know, no sleep and all the rest of it. I always laugh a little bit about you have to be careful as an entrepreneur who's giving you advice or as an individual who's giving you advice. You know, you see all these people who are first time, you know, successful exits, you know, founders and have a lot of money and they'll come in and say, oh, you know, it's really important to have a good balance in life. It's really good to meditate. It's really good to get eight hours of sleep every night and all the rest of it. And they're telling 23 year old kids this about like, this is really important. If I could go back and do it. No, that's really good for you at 45 because you've had an exit and you have all this luxury of things. If I'm 23, 25, 27, 30, and I'm starting, guess what? you should have no boundaries. Right. Like, yeah. frankly, it is about the grind. Your early stage in your career is about, you have to decide what's important to you. But in fact, it is that investment in yourself. It is that investment in that grind that allows you the opportunity to maybe in the future to be the person who says, I want boundaries. I want rules. I want to meditate. I want to sleep for eight hours. I want all those things. But if I did that when I was you know, starting Claymore, I wouldn't have been as successful. So you got to be really careful about where advice comes for you yeah. and who is delivering it. If they, if it wasn't good enough advice for them at that stage, shouldn't be good enough advice for you. My, my daughter, who's in university first year, talking about dealing with everything, work, like schoolwork and then living outside of the home and in Toronto, not, not in Calgary and so on and so forth. And dad, it's so tough. How do, how do you do it all? And I said, this is the mantra that we had when we first started our, our business. Work like nobody does so you can live like nobody can. That's exactly right. Bust your goddamn ass now and then you'll be able to see the rewards of all that hard work. Do not sit back on on anything right now. Now's the time to work hard. It's great advice. So Sam, we're now in the social media world where people obtain information in what I call quick hits. If it's 35 seconds, it's now too long, okay? So let's go into the best advice that entrepreneurs could receive that maybe you've seen on on social media or other platforms, and then also give me the worst advice. (laughs) Um, Look, worst advice is when someone who doesn't um, fit your stage and and structure of life has a different bias or different series of goals is basically giving you advice on what to do. Many years ago, when I was building Claymore, I went to a wedding and one of um, the fathers, uh, who was a very successful individual, it was post-financial crisis, and I was hard charging and I was talking about how we were doing all these things. And he said, you know what? You really should take it. You know, don't 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 you too aggressive because you know it could be very risky. And I just thought to myself, I'm like, that's maybe important for you in your stage of life, not important for me in my stage of life. So I think it's important to understand what who's delivering the advice, what's their perspective. Best advice, look, I've had lots of great advice. I've, there's no one person that, or one you know, advice that's kind of driven me, but I'll give you one really important one that I love. Early in building Claymore, one of my partners was a guy named Rob Arnott. And um, I took Rob around and we marketed this really interesting story around fundamental indexing and all the rest of it. it was a very novel idea. It was the foundations to what we were doing at, per- at Claymore. And I remember the first meeting we had and, and Rob 
um, went up to the stage and, and presented for an hour about what fundamental indexing was, and it was awesome, and and it was great. And we did that presentation. Several several months later, I had Rob come back up to to, to Toronto, and we went and did the same presentation. And we had a lot of the same people in the same room, and he went up and gave the presentation. It was the exact same presentation, and I, I felt a little like cringy. I was like, oh, he's just like these are the same people they heard it the first time. And so you know, I kind of said to him, I said, Rob, you know, like th- these people heard the story the first time. Maybe maybe give him an update or talk to him. He goes, no, 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 Sam. What you forget is you are the only person uncomfortable in the room because you think that they actually remember what I said the first time. Yeah. When you have an idea, when you've got something to t- say, say it, say it again, say it again, say it again, and keep saying it. Say it until it actually hits. Because the reality is other people have many things going on in their life. Many things. They come into a room, they hear what you say, or they watch a show, or they, and then they go off into the rest of their world. Your job is to keep reminding them of what you are actually saying. Say one thing, say it over and over and over and over again. And I see it over and over again, the opposite. I yeah. see people who tell a story and the next time you see them, they tell a different story and then another iteration of the story instead of just saying the same thing. So that's something that I care deeply about. And yeah. I've learned that early in my career. I'm smiling only because when Dave and I merged our practices together in our business, 16 years ago, we started a monthly presentation to the public. And that presentation hasn't changed every single month for 16 years. And there are people who attended three or four times in a row and still think it's a brand new presentation. I felt uncomfortable about why is it, why are we doing the same thing? It seems like the same song and dance, but it's the same presentation because it makes sense. It hits the key points and it's, it's relevant to the market at the time. Let's keep it going. And the market hasn't changed in what they need in retirement over the last 16 years. Say it once. Let's keep it going. Say it again. Say it again. <laughs> say it again. Say it again. Say it again. That's the best advice I can give you. If you are trying to get some message into the market, keep telling it. From values of your core to value for your customer, you have to live with purpose. So I'm safe. Thank you for joining me today. Great to be here. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button for more from the Carmali Exchange. And you can also follow me on social media at Faisal Carmali, where we can continue the business conversation.